What if you could change your life and help change the world at the same time? Hi, I'm Stephanie James, host of The Spark on NOCO FM. Join me and some of the most important people in psychology, spirituality, and science for a very special event. The Spark Summit, October 26, 2019 at the Drake Center in Fort Collins, Colorado. Together, we'll learn how to heal ourselves using the latest breakthroughs and self-improvement with interactive keynotes from luminaries such as Jacob Lieberman, Misa Hopkins, Larry Dossie, and many more. Ignite your own spark of hope to illuminate a journey towards living your best life. Join me at the Spark Summit, October 26, 2019, at the Drake Center in Fort Collins, Colorado. Tickets and more information at thesparksummit2019.com. That's thesparksummit2019.com. Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different, different. This is NOCO FM. today's political race of mudslinging and defamation, it's hard to imagine any other way a candidate might campaign. We're used to hearing the slander and the lies and the savior complex many of these candidates exude. But what if there was a different way to win the race? What if the candidate's focus was actually to connect with their constituents and provide them with resources and services before the election? Former personal growth leader and speech coach and writer for Apple, Sony, and HP, Harvey Stone has developed a database to help candidates do just that. His focus has been on creating three great breakthrough opportunities for reversing climate change, expanding sustainability, and depolarizing politics. In this episode, we discuss his breakthrough ideas on how to bring our candidates back to serving the people of this country and helping to create a better future for us all. This is The Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. Let's talk a little bit about your background, Harvey. You've got some interesting background. Part of what you had, you and I had talked about a couple days ago is how you went from this kind of quote unquote Old Testament guy to an yeah. optimist. How, how did you become an optimist? I, I, took, I took as many decades as possible. <laughs> I took a long time. And, and what I meant by that, an Old Testament guy is that I was raised on the Old Testament going to Hebrew school five days a week for five years. That's after public school, right? And so I learned all those stories. They were ingrained in me as a very young person, right? That affect my consciousness. So just a couple of those stories, which we all know, right? God is unhappy with the world. So he sends the flood and basically takes out everybody except Noah and his family and two of each species. God's unhappy with what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, takes everybody out and everything that grows on the earth. Moses crosses God or doubts God once and is not allowed to enter into the Holy Land after leading the people out of Egypt and around the desert for 40 years. So the, the Old Testament is full of those stories that impacted my consciousness. And in retrospect, I could see how that created a filter and every all of us have those filters created from our early childhood experiences right yeah. a filter of my god there's a lot of things to be pessimistic about 
And then, of course, as I live my life or any of us lives our lives, we can then find cherry pick the evidence unconsciously that reinforces our filters. So there's been plenty of wars in World War II and Vietnam and Cold War and civil rights and, you know, genocide around the world, on and on and on and on and on. So it took me a while until I started to really focus in on what are the next 10 years, which has been, in a sense, a specialty of mine for the last few years, right, to, to try and understand what's going on and to really see things in perspective. I never quite understood the opportunities that are in front of us because of the shifts in the macro economy, the global economy, right, and the changes that brings about. So given that, and I understand we could still blow ourselves up and we could have a tremendous pandemic and all of that, but we've, we've avoided tremendous things in the last half century, and there's a chance we'll do that in the next 10, 20 years as well and accomplish the more positive things. So what helped you to get to this more optimistic place where you're actually looking forward and changing some of those maybe patterned belief systems that you had from the past? In the last probably 20, 30 years, really when I started this, and I go back here and I look at, at what has interested me over the years, big issues. Right? Um, for a long time, I was involved in, in civil rights work. And then it really shifted to climate. What was going on with the climate, the dangers around that and the reasons for it and the solutions to mitigate that or how to adapt to that. Um, and at the same time, I was really interested in when I looked at the statistic, global statistics, for instance, in the last 20 or 30 years, close to 1 billion people have risen out of poverty around the world. If we look at the literacy rates around the world in the last century, they've gone from like 30%, 35% to well over 90% of people around the world illiterate. If we take the macro trends, not focus on any daily headline or one year, okay, it really is a lot to be optimistic about. Life expectancy has just shot up over the last century and the last half century in particular. And so one of the keys was when I started to look at the next 10 years, I had to look back at least the next last 10 and even the last 50. And when, when we get our focus out of what's happening right now, this year, this administration politically, which are points in time and look at a broader spectrum, it's a much better story. Yeah. And that's that's our problem, right? Is that there's so much fear mongering going on with the media right now that where do we get this perspective? You know, how, how can we pan yeah. out so that we can get the bigger picture? That's right. Because the media is likely not to do that for just the reason you're talking about. And of course, they're making the biggest bulk of their of their income right now around an election. And I mean, what I believe is we have to start getting politicians to start talking about this candidates who garner a lot of attention in the next 18, 19 months. And as you, you and I have talked about briefly, that's one of the projects I'm interested in now is how do we get candidates to do, adopt a different method of, of campaigning, one that is not just the, the old kind of formula, which goes to both parties, the old formula of 
uh, excite the base, get everybody pumped up around this issue or that issue, demonize the opposition about how bad they are and how awful things that they have done, and then hope you siphon off enough independence to win the election. And again, both parties doing this. Right. And no matter which party wins in 2020, the country will be more depolarized unless we break that pattern. And for me, the way to break that pattern is that if we can start getting some candidates to talk about not just platitudes and promises, but also here are real solutions that are on the ground around the world, in this country, around the states that are really getting us to lower prescription drug prices, to get 100% renewable energy in the next 20, 30 years, uh, to transfer, make the transition from internal combustion engines to electric vehicles, and on and on and on. Because those things are real, and most people don't know them and don't have that sense of, my God, there's a lot of momentum out there. There really is a case for optimism, and I want to help, and I want to get on the bandwagon. So I'll donate, I'll make calls, I'll get out and work for these issues. Because so many people these days, I think you'd probably agree, are in despair, at least in this country, about what's happening in the world. And there's that whole other story that doesn't get told. And it's so essential and so important. And let's talk a little bit more about what you've been focusing on. And you're bringing this forward in a book, is that correct? Yes, I'm right now trying to rush through to get it done because I'm focusing around the election and, uh, you know, time's going by here. I loved your example yesterday. You were talking about one of the ways in which this would work is a candidate going to talk to a farmer. Yeah. You remember, will you share that example? Yes. So what my concept is that rather than a candidate focused campaign, which is what we've had across our lifetime, at least 20, 30, 40 years, with a lot of savior behavior about I'm going to do this and I'm going to save the country and I'm going to save you and I'm going to save your community and on and on and on. The new model that I'm proposing here to candidates is a how can I help model, which is a constituent focused campaign. So whether a presidential candidate, a senatorial candidate, a House of Representatives candidate, goes to whatever their jurisdiction is. And let's say they're talking to a bunch of farmers, right? And you can ask the question, which, of course, candidates don't in my experience very much, which is, what's your area of greatest pain? And they may talk, someone will certainly talk about climate because it's impacting the amount of crops that they can grow and their productivity. And they'll talk about tariffs because they're being harmed by not being able to sell, particularly into China for many of them, et cetera. And, and different farmers will have different greatest areas of pain. So the idea here is that a candidate will have access to a database that I'm building of actual on-the-ground solutions that address farmers' areas of greatest pain, students' areas of greatest pain, small business owners' areas of greatest pain, that they have that information available to them. And they can say, well, you know, that's not my specialty. I'm running for office. But here are five or six examples that seem to address some of what you're talking about. And in an ideal situation, they say, and I've got somebody back in my office who really is a specialist in these kinds of solutions. Let me put you in touch with that person if you would like. And that that is how 
a candidate would win hearts, minds, and votes of the voters. And very important to me these days is to depolarize politics by a candidate actually being willing and, and wanting to help constituents across the political spectrum and not just talk to the base and excite the base and give them what they want. See, and I love this. It's yeah. allowing the candidates to become true change agents, that they become then that hub that is truly resourcing and connecting people in a way that isn't that what it originally was designed to do, that it's supposed to be a government by the people for the people? Yes. And, and people we elect are called public servants, except they're much more these days the publicly served rather than publicly right. serving. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So it's changing that definition. It's it's really allowing these candidates to be that connector and help connect people to actual resources. So they're literally digging in to start solving these problems. And so they're, they're getting the votes and supports from the actual change they are already enacting. That's right. Rather strong opinions about this. But as I listen to the candidates, the last election, even the elections before that, and certainly what's starting out in this presidential election is they mostly talk about platitudes. We must restore democracy or promises. And if you elect me, we'll have 100% renewable energy in 10 years, which is essentially impossible. And very little in terms of real solutions. So the idea here is they then start talking about those things. There's one company, for instance, go back to the farmer issue that you raised. There's one company that has just put out what they call a teraton challenge. Because they have some kind of product that links um, rhizomes with plants and allows for a much far more efficient delivery of nutrients, fertilizers, water, et cetera, et cetera. And they've put out a trillion ton challenge over, I don't know what period you know, time we're talking about here, right? Okay. But basically to get farmers to start using these techniques for many reasons, but one of which is that the soil will be enriched and will and be able to absorb 100 trillion tons of carbon over who knows what, what time span yeah. here. Yeah. So there, that's what I'm talking about. There are many, many solutions out there. There are ways of using robotics for farmers, there are now electric farm vehicles that don't give off emissions. So this is the stuff, I don't know why candidates don't talk about it. I mean, this is exciting stuff. Yeah. To me, this, this is what makes sense that we should be talking about. Yeah. And I think part of it is they don't know a lot of this. They, you know, they're not, just by habit, they're not directed to look for the solutions. They're dealing with so many problems. Often they're functioning on a policy level. And they have not instructed their staff to develop the kind of database that I'm developing here to give the candidates access. And so, Harvey, tell me a little bit about your background that brought you to this point where you're now you've put together and are culminating these resources for these candidates. What brought you to this point? I don't know. You know everything. I, I mean, you know, specifically, I spent five years leading large group personal growth weekends back in the early 80s. And that taught me, I'll tell you what that taught me, which is, and you probably remember these, but you'd bring in large groups, 100 people, sometimes several hundred people into a, usually a hotel ballroom for three or four intense days. 
And so I did those three weeks a month for five years, worked with well over 100,000 people, probably cumulative in all of those. Right? Wow. And one of the things it taught me is that if you, that you can bring a group of people into a hotel ballroom for a very short period of time in an intense setting, and over that time, you see quite transformational changes in people in their consciousness and their ability to have new behaviors and new habits and new relationships. And so I said to myself, what I, one of the learnings in retrospect was, if you can do that on a ballroom level with 100, 200 people, why can't you do it on a city level? Why can't you do it on a state or country level? If you can create the right conditions to allow the, that kind of new consciousness to develop, we got a shot at this. So that spoiled me because, you know, I then started to see the world through that frame. And how can you do that with climate? How can you do it with sustainability? How can you do it with politics? And then, as I mentioned to you, I spent a number of years as a contract speechwriter for Apple and HP and Sony and many, many big companies. And that gave me a much broader perspective about what goes on in a global economy because these companies all had to survive and thrive within a global economy. So it kept broadening my perspective. Um, and, and then it just, that became, and still is the filter through which I now look at life. One of the things that you had talked about is just how we can do this, you know, it's it's from going from local to global, like you said, like from going to the hundred people to then it's the city and then right. making impact in the state and then the country and, and literally helping to shift this consciousness through like these concentric circles. That's right. I'd say one of the reasons and one of the ones that's affected me the most in you know, the last five, 10 years that I've really focused on, on the, these issues is to know that human beings fundamentally, it seems nature has trained us and equipped us, it's probably a better word, to think and act linearly. Yes. You know, for most of human history of a couple of, you know, million years, uh, things really move, you know, really slow. But in our generations, you know, whether, you know, whether boomers or millennials or Xers or whatever, right? The world is going like this. I mean, it is exponentially changing and we are living through it without understanding that it is really going that fast and what those implications are. So if we can begin to understand that this really is how fast it is going, it's like if you took a penny, you know, and you add a penny every day, linearly, you'd have 30 cents. But if you take a penny and you double it, every day for 30 days. It's well over, it's over a million dollars. So we're living in that world and knowing that the, the changes are coming that fast, the changes have to come that fast when we're dealing with issues like reversing climate change. So I find that is one thing that re really helps people. Another one I would say is take a, a, an historical context, a broader context. And I talked about some of those you know, literacy trends, world trends, and people out of poverty. The one that most of us know, I, I believe, or many people know in this culture okay, is the stock market. 
if you look at the stock market today or this month or you know six months, it's going to look great or it's going to look terrible. My financial advisor recently told me that you know I lost something like twenty nine thousand dollars in December. <laughs> well, I don't know what twenty nine hundred maybe he said, but I lost a lot because December was the worst month in a long time. Yeah, right. And then he talked about, and this is standard you know, financial advisor speak, because I've heard it many times. If you look at the stock market for 90 years, one of those charts, I think there have only been 16 years in which it has lost money. Wow. Yeah. Stock market. Right. right. So it's a very right. different picture. Yes. Very different. And that's the value of having an historical perspective that's long enough, that's more than the last week or the last year or even the last five years, 10 years. So that's another thing that I think is very useful. And then what's related, the last one I would say is to start thinking in terms of the future. That what are the consequences intended and unintended you know, to, to be start to make those connections? And then as, as individual citizens and listeners to podcasts, to say, who are the candidates that I think most have these ways of thinking and understand where we are today, what's coming tomorrow, and what are the solutions that can be useful and helpful to students, to farmers, to small business owners, et cetera, et cetera. Tell us a little bit about your vision, Harvey, when, when you're looking at the next 10 years. Yeah. How do you continue to keep that optimistic look? What, what is your sense of what we can do and how we can make this planet or whether it's the, you know, our, our financial markets, what do, what do you see as that vision? Yeah. Well, if we look at the various big buckets of change, they, they come in essentially three buckets that, that economists often talk about, which are communications, transportation, and energy. So if we just look at energy, for instance, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, never mind the, the, ever since we've had electricity, Right. If we look at electricity in particular, Thomas Edison generated the very first power plant constructed and generated in New York City in 1882. So we're looking at 140 years ago. Right. Up until very recently, that has been almost totally fossil fuels and more recently nuclear. But a lot, as we know, a lot of the climate crisis that we're in is from carbon emissions from many sources. Electricity, I think, is roughly about 20% of all the emissions, if I remember. But starting in the 1970s, mostly small companies, mostly startups or, or you know, maybe a few years old, started innovating around solar in particular and also wind. And in about, you know, it's almost 50 years now, although we don't think of it that way. But the prices have dropped so dramatically. So that right now in different parts of, the, of this country and different parts of the world, the price of electricity generated largely from renewables, right, there's usually still some fossils in there, is parity, at parity, the same or even a little bit lower than the cost of electricity from fossil fuels. So there is an accelerating march, whether in these big investor-owned utilities or what I know something about are rural electric co-ops, of which there are about 900 across the U.S., of implementing more and more solar. Big companies like Excel that serves Colorado have you know, come out and said they want to reduce their emissions by 80% by 2030. 
they're having more and more generate generating more and more renewables and it's all over the world whether we're talking about wind we're talking about tidal power so all of that sets the stage for a great deal of re- or reduction in emissions and it sets the stage for the ability to electrify the transportation sector so let's talk about that yeah, yeah. tell me about what is how is it going to impact transportation what do you see with that well, the biggest way in terms of electrification is electrification in a sense, which is, I mean, most most of your listeners, I'm sure, know Tesla and may be familiar with the Nissan um, electric vehicles and GM has them. Well, the reality is every major manufacturer and many manufacturers we've never heard of, including a ton of them in China, which is the world's largest electric vehicle market a very fast moving to switch away from internal combustion engines that we all grew up with and played around with our carburetors when we couldn't get the settings correct to electric vehicles and it is moving so fast that the projections are that by the mid 2020s that the sale of electric vehicles in any given year say around 2025 2026 will surpass be greater than the sale of, a, of internal combustion engines in that year. And at the same time, what's happening is there right now, there is at least eight or 10 countries, a lot of them in, in Europe, that have set dates by after which they will not allow the sale of internal combustion engines in those countries. And the, the date that's closest to today is 2025, where Norway has said after that they will not allow any more ICEs to be sold there. So you have is the entire industry moving towards electric vehicles. You have major jurisdictions in the world moving towards electric vehicles. So that is going to reduce tremendously another big chunk of fossil fuels. We're also seeing um, the early stages of electrification of airplanes. I mean, the, the big ones are, because it's so much more complex, are, are doing all the prototype work on that now. But the very first, it's a, it's a commuter airline up in British Columbia that has now claimed that in 20, I think it's 2020 or 2021, I forget, they will, their entire fleet will now be um, electric planes. They're basically short hop flights with a lot fewer passengers. And I mean, it's easier, so much easier than a United flight or any other. Right? Um, there's electrification in Germany. They now have, remember the old trolley cars in cities? Oh, yeah. The trolleys would hook on to the wires. Yeah. Right? I'm not sure they're in any city anymore. Well, in Germany, they've now put those similar kind of lines along this one, again, the prototype, one highway for a stretch of a highway. And these trucks, these big diesel trailer trucks, right, are now equipped with this equipment that when they get on the highway, like poles rise up, hook onto the wires, and they're charging their electric batteries while they're moving down the highway. That is cool. And there's a zillion of those examples out there that you never heard on CNN or probably MSNBC or Fox or heard it on on the Stephanie James podcast. That's right. On the spark. Here is the first time that you've ever heard it. Yeah.
As women, we've all had life experiences that have brought us to our breaking point. These experiences have molded us and the way we see the world. We believe that no matter the experience, you are not broken. It's possible to find strength in the cracks and imperfections. That is where our true beauty lies. Hi, I'm Dr. Natalie Phillips, host of Connecting a Better World here on NOCO FM, and I'd like to invite you to join me at a very special event. Unbreakable Finding Strength in Imperfection is a two-day event with hands-on activities, keynote speakers, and many more adventures planned. Join me for a weekend full of connection, growth, renewal, and stepping forward in your life. This is not your typical conference. Unbreakable Finding Strength in Imperfection is September 6th and 7th, 2019 at the La Quinta Inn and Suites in Loveland, Colorado. Learn more and get your ticket at noco.fm slash unbreakable. That's noco.fm slash unbreakable. Hope to see you there. It is phenomenal to think about that we're not privy to this kind of information, that just hearing this is so exciting and it does give people hope. And as you said, we are living in an era right now where people in this country are experiencing despair and hopelessness, feeling very unempowered. And this changes that vision, That this changes that That's whole feeling. Think. Yeah, It's changed my vision. Yeah. And so now my vision is to change other people's vision. Well, there's those concentric circles right there, right? Yes, that's right. And so then the other thing is depolarizing politics. You spoke about that. And so is that kind of through the model that you were talking about? Is is that how you see that happening? Exactly. I mean, if if you you take any of the Democratic candidates who just because they're in the public view right now, go into a rural area, right? Talk to a bunch of farmers or dairy folks or ranchers. And if you can imagine this, rather than saying, here's what I'm going to do, we're going to have this, this policy, that policy, just start off by asking, what's your area of greatest pain? I think you're probably going through a hard time. Now tell me, let me me know. I'm listening here. And they say, it's this or it's that or it's this, whatever. And you say, you know, tell me some more so I understand that better. And they say, okay, what are you going to do now about it? I say, well... You know, it's not my area of specialty, if that's true. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is. Mm-hmm. But I've got a, access to a database that lists solutions for agricultural organizations and businesses. Here are five that I think might apply to you. Let me give you them, access to those. And if you're interested, I can hook you up with somebody back in my office who really does know this. And you can follow up to see which ones make sense for you. I love that. You know, and so how do you get, though, I guess this is, this is truly my question to you, is how do you get politicians yeah. that are so used to just talking and trying to talk a good game yeah. to become more open-hearted listeners? Because it is well, really it, about, yeah. it really is about listening. It, it is. And if I go just back one step, it's about 
the ability to listen or not listen or listen in certain ways is a longstanding habit. It is a consciousness. Right. And it's a habit of how to respond. I'm the candidate. This is what I do. So it's about breaking habits by getting people to see a different way of doing something, just as we've seen different ways of, of so many things in our lifetime. And, and taking getting a few candidates who are willing to, to do this. And the big incentive is there, which is to win the election. Right. Particularly in close races at whatever level. Yes. So how do you get this book out to those folks? I mean, what are you doing, I guess, to market this? Or how do you get this in the hands of those political yeah. hopefuls? Well, I mean, the easiest way when it's done is there's only a certain number of them. So I just get their campaign addresses and send them a book. Right. It'll likely be an ebook, which makes it even easier. But what I'm trying to do, and maybe if any of your listeners have can help with this, that'd be fantastic. I'm trying to find people who have contacts with either incumbents who are running again, again at the presidential or senatorial or the house level, or they have contact with challengers who are running. Like a friend of mine in New Mexico just hooked me up with a woman who's running for the first time as a challenger for the house, for the federal house. And so she and I have started to have uh, an email exchange you know, to see if she's really interested in this. So anybody's got any contacts or ideas about it? I mean, God, I'd love to. Well, how do they get a hold of you, Harvey? The best way at this point, because I'm, I'm just building the website for all of this and it's not ready and won't be in the immediate future here, um, is just by email which is my personal email, which is hastone at aol.com. H-A-Stone? Yes. At, AOL at aol.com. Okay. Right. And then we'll take it from there. We can have phone calls and set up Skype sessions. And One of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, too, is what are the benefits for folks as they adapt this new way of thinking and this new way of visioning how the world can be in the next decade? Are you more interested in you're talking politicians or average citizens or? I think a combination. I mean, what what is I guess we could start first with what is the benefit to these politicians if they plug into this? Not only yeah. just to win the election, but, you know, what's the result then of that? And then what is the greater result for all of us? I would think for a politician, if I were running and I would win this election because I've adopted this different approach to campaigning that we've been talking about, I would think I would feel more, much more fulfilled and much more hopeful. And if there were other candidates who had adopted this kind of thinking and also got elected, and so suddenly you now have a caucus and then maybe you have a larger group and maybe at some point even get a majority of people in Congress over time, right, who think this way. And, and that becomes the norm, the collective norm of Congress, which is to really be a public servant, which used to be in the, much more so in the 60s, 70s and probably even early 80s. That would be incredibly fulfilling and meaningful. And, and I would think for average people like you and me, 
and I know this is true for me because I've been living this a number of years now, to feel more hopeful and to not be sucked into the despair of the way the world is portrayed to us through our political leaders and media companies. I mean, hell, it's just, you know, life's more about ice cream and, and line dancing. <laughs> well, and it, it's true that collective consciousness matters. You know, so each one of us, the way in which we plug into this is important. You know, each, each, each one adds like this valuable thread to this tapestry that is us. And and it's, it's really, it's the power of network. I mean, if we look at what the, you know, the internet was 25 years ago when it first burst on the scene that nobody knew what the hell it was, right? And basically nobody was connected. There are a few military installations and university research centers, which is the predecessor of the internet and ultimately produced the internet as, as we know it, right? And so in about 25 years, right now, I think it's about half of the world's population is connected to the internet. Which is so crazy when you think about it that way. I yeah, mean, I mean, and you were telling me all the countries that, that you know, your podcast is in, the ability to do that, you couldn't have done that 25 years ago or probably even 15 years ago. And so as it, that's the power of network. And as more and more people get networked and more and more people begin to see the world in this way and then demand that of their politicians and the politicians see it that way and then transmit that to their constituents, suddenly you, you, can, you know, there's a possibility here of growing a different outlook about the world and what's happening here and to get past this point in time, and I don't just mean today, but the last 10, 20 years certainly, of negativity and despair. Yeah. I think that's a good thing. I think it's a great thing. <laughs> I think it's an essential thing for us. Yeah. I mean, what's the choice to continue in despair and get things get worse and, you know, more fires, more floods, more famines, more disease, more death? <laughs> yeah, no, no, thank you. I mean, that that's taken us right back to the Old Testament that we were talking about yeah, in the really? beginning. I, I don't want to live in those days. You're right. Here we are right back in the old right. So, so, so let's rewrite this this new chapter and this new book in in all of our lives. Yeah, and you know, I, I think what you're saying is an essential piece too. What it reminds me of is how regular old grocery stores, King Supers or Albertsons or whatever, they're carrying so much organic produce, and that has been a demand of the public. And That's so, right. so yeah. we really do have a way of affecting change. Yeah. And yeah. so when, when we decide, we once again want a government by the people for the people, when we want our public servants to actually truly do that, that they are in service to the greater whole, yeah. then that is what helps push that. It's not just agenda. It's what helps push that movement yeah. Into fruition. Yeah, that's what I think. Exactly. I mean, let me, if I could take over your show for a minute here and interview the interviewer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Harvey, what, what do you got for me? <laughs> well, I'm just curious. What is, would you say, and it doesn't have to be per- directly personally touching you, but it might be a value you have, right? Like immigration is an example might not touch you personally as an issue, but it's a, it might be a really strong value for you. 
what would you say is your area of greatest pain when you think about the world or how you are in it? Wow, that's a really good question. I, I really have to think on that on one. <laughs> well, because my mind instantly, I, I guess when you brought up immigration, where my mind instantly goes to with that particular issue, and even though that doesn't touch me personally, yeah, it really touched my heritage and my lineage personally. My grandfather yes. was an immigrant from Sweden. Uh -huh. And yeah. so his family, I, I was just at Ellis Island a couple years ago. I mean, his family is in the book. He passed away a couple years ago at 103. And yeah. I am so thankful that he and his family were allowed to come into the United States. And so yeah. I do have, you know, when I see the signs that are up in people's yards that say, like, everyone is welcome here. You know, that that is what touches my heart. We are a melting pot. And so I, I do think immigration is absolutely essential and important part. And what's been happening is horrific. I mean, is that that's answering right. your yes. question? Yeah, no, no, that's that's the issue. And, and if I were running for office, just to go back to that model, I mean, you know, general statistics are in here and general ideas. I, I, I'd have to research specific ones. But the history of this country has been the history of struggles with different waves of immigrants, where there has been enormous resistance to them, where there has been welcoming to them, where it struggles in Congress to get laws passed, all of that, really incredible issues, horror stories, wonderful stories. We know how to do this. It's not as if we've never faced this kind of opposition around immigration before. It has largely been the history of this country. And if we've done it before, we can do it again. And, and again, that's the part of having some some perspective on this, a broader time frame. Right. right? And right. then the, what specific things worked to to add those in. Right. So that's what I, I mean. I, I've been asking a bunch of people recently, what's their area of greatest pain? It's an interesting question. To ask, well, it is. Know? It really yeah. is. Yeah, some people say they're molar. But yes, we <laughs> right. 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 The lower back. <laughs> but I, I hear what you're saying and that by having these resources available that we can get a bigger perspective. Yeah. We can look and see we are we are able to make this change. If we're if we're going back to the example of immigration, we're able to tackle this issue. We have tackled it in the past. It has not stopped us. You know, yep. immigration has not halted in any time where it was just absolutely not happening anymore. That's right. And so we can look at some of those models and say, okay, there's other ways for us to rethink this and think a way anew. That's right. Yes. And let's be sure we consider that as a real issue when we're looking at the candidates running for president and Senate and the House and even lower levels or more local levels. Yes, that's right. Harvey, I mean, I'm so excited about this project for you and for us and for the candidates. As we're just out of time now, what is the essential message that you want to make sure that our listeners receive from our conversation? It's that... The despair that so many of us feel and the negativity and the depression and the, f and the fear of the future 
that characterizes so much, particularly in this country, but not certainly in, just in this country, is a point in time. If we look historically back 50 years, 100 years, all the trends are so much better in terms of literacy, life expectancy, people rising out of poverty, et cetera, et cetera. And with all the new technologies that are coming on board, uh, all the new startups, all the ability for human beings to connect around the world, that there is a really decent shot, if we can avoid the big explosions, a really decent shot to reverse climate change, spread sustainability to much larger areas of the world, many more people, and even depolarize American politics. What a world that would be. I love that. What a country. And I have to be I have to be with you. I mean, I am the eternal optimist as well, because the other choice, I, I might as well lie down. That's right. And, you know, I, I think it's a horse race, to tell you the truth. There's two compelling stories. And only one gets told day in, day out, day in, day out. That's the negative one. And we don't hear the other one. Are there resources that you know of where people can hear more of this positive message, where people can start getting more of this positive information and maybe this, like, as you were saying, this historical perspective that really does help us shift that yeah. paradigm? Well, uh, just a couple come to mind. One is I spent uh, some time as a contractor with the World Bank doing some a climate program for them and video and um, and they on their website and I just since worldbank.org I believe uh, has a ton of positive videos and, and articles about what's going on in different places around the world another resource would be what's called singularity University again just just google that and they've got a ton of videos about the future and the advance of technology and, and in many cases, the positive side of what that will produce, right? Although they pay tribute to the negative potential of, of that. So those are two. And then just start looking around. There's a good news network that people can subscribe to, get three stories a day. It's called the Good News Network? Yes. I yeah, love that. Yeah. Nice. It's nice. And they do, they'll do everything from, you know, the, the fireman that saved the dog to the world's largest wind turbine that just got put in place. So we it, need it, to it, hear, you know, and, and if we can, yeah. and the wonderful thing is as human beings, we have the ability to direct our focus. So, absolutely. Yes. So we can choose to focus on these things in this way and help right. to, to make this shift and swing the pendulum Towards optimism. I used to, a phrase I used to use when I used to lead those personal growth weekends was where our attention goes is what grows in Absolutely. our consciousness. Absolutely. Yes. Where our attention goes, goes is what grows. Is what grows. That's exactly yeah, and Whether it. that's learning a language or learning about the great things going on in the world to balance out the daily dose of deadly things going on in the world. So let's bring our focus to this. And Harvey, right. thank That's you for I bringing think. our attention and focus yeah. to this today. So I, I, you know, I really want to invite your listeners, anybody's interested in this and wants to converse or help or whatever, to contact me again at hastone at aol.com. Thank you, Harvey. Thank you, Stephanie. It's been great talking with you. It's been great talking with you too. 
really did love talking with Harvey. He's so interesting to talk to and just had such a wonderful, fresh energy and these fresh ideas about what we can do differently and how we can change our focus instead of focusing on what is wrong by identifying our pain points and then looking at what are the resources available, we can actually create a much brighter future for all of us. No matter what political party you support, I think when we really break it down, we're so much more alike than we are different if we can look to the places where we find our commonalities you know, we all want healthcare. We all want good schools. We all want a better world for all of us. Clean air, fresh water, a wonderful place to lay our heads at night. I mean, those are pretty universal things. So I think if we start focusing on the solutions, we really can work to change things for a better world for us all. Remember, the Spark is your show, too. If you have questions, feedback on the show, or if you're going through something and need a little help, we'd love to hear from you. Continue the conversation with us at our website, thesparkpod.com, and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. New episodes of The Spark air Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Mountain. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional and should not be considered medical advice. If you're having a mental or physical health crisis, please seek treatment immediately. The Spark is produced by NOCO Media Limited, which is solely responsible for its content. Thanks again for listening. This has been The Spark, igniting your best life. I'm Stephanie James. This has been a production of NOCO-FM.